0: up y'all dr t Hassan johnson here hoping everybody is well uh or as well as possible in these strange times welcome back uh to the onyx report where we uplift black men and boys using critical analysis uh so as usual having a few little technical things nothing difficult at this point just uploaded uh some some new uh little uploads on my computer some that are causing some interesting things. So some things are reversed around on the screen. So hopefully everything will, that'll be the worst of it. Uh, we got a few uh, brothers in the building. Uh, Muata, what's going on, man? Um, Cynical Optimist, Man Friday. Chief in the South, hope everybody is well. Uh, We are broadcasting today on YouTube, Facebook, and of course, interlightradio.com. So you can check us out on any of those platforms uh, and keep up with what's going on. What's up, Gavin. Um, yeah, we are trying to get it in today. I am still a little out of it, so I hope I uh my medication don't kick in in the wrong way. Whatever, <laughs> other than that, um, all is well. Shop talk, what's going on, artisan? I keep missing your show, man. I'm not getting my announcements on YouTube. I apologize. Um, but it's been a crazy little time period, so um we gonna get it together. We're gonna get it together. So, for those of you that have not done so yet, consider becoming a, a, a member of the Onyx Report. You can go on to YouTube and you can click on the join button right next to the subscribe button. Please do both. Um, and you can uh, become a member. There are a variety of levels um, that uh, you can check out, they all come with different perks. So, please feel free to look into it and become a member of the channel. Support the channel uh, if you uh, have not become a member. Uh, But you're still interested in supporting, uh, you can go ahead and do so. I put it in the uh, comment section on how you can uh, support the show on Cash App, uh, PayPal, Patreon, Venmo. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can support the channel. And remember, you can also support the uh, uh, Institute for Black Male Studies. That is also available on Patreon as well as a way to support Strictly That. So please uh, look into doing any of those. Um, and I appreciate your willingness to do that. Now, what I normally do at this time, and I'm about to do it now is to go ahead and thank my subscribers. Uh, so for those of you on inner light, you're going to hear a little bit of music for everyone else. Um, these are the subscribers that make the channel happen. Shout out to y'all. Here we go.
1: Thank you again
0: to my members. You guys are are definitely the ones that make it happen. It's much appreciated. Let's see. Yeah, gotta keep that little going right there. Uh, Let me get uh, all my stuff together here. All right. Okay, so we in there. All right. So as y'all can see, we're gonna have an interesting one tonight. Are black men at war alone? Uh, question that quite a few people have answers to on both sides of the scale, both sides of the argument. Um, so we're gonna break down a little bit of that and hopefully get some clarity on the matter. Uh, I'm Z. appreciate the support. All right, so thank you for that. Uh, you guys go ahead and donate, please. Give it. Uh, give the show some support, some help. What's up, Ian? Appreciate you supporting as usual. All right, F Ray, what's going on? We also got some new products for you. I'm going to shoot to you a little bit later. But as y'all know, I like to do um, the Sacred Masculine uh, series. And we have uh, got a few of them uh, going on today. So as usual, we celebrate black men over here. And we celebrate black male accomplishments. But we do so at random. So it's just a matter of what comes across my desk or what people send in. So feel free to send it in. You can find me on Twitter at Lord Hassan. You can find me here on YouTube at the channel. You can also find me on Facebook at Dr. T. Hassan Johnson. But uh, yeah, feel free to go ahead and send me something. Worst case scenario, you can go to my website and email me through there. But if you have some articles or anything that's public um, where black males are definitely doing something uh, worthy of support, please make sure you send it in because we like to celebrate that. So we're gonna start off um, the Sacred Black Masculine series with a report came out um, that I thought was just incredible. Golden Leopard, appreciate the support, right? And so let's see, hopefully the technical effects will be manageable, so let's check it out.
2: 28 year old man bought his family lunch and took a shower. A few minutes later, he saw the smoke and heard the screams. He had but a few minutes to help all seven members of his family Jump from a burning building walks our hope for through the terrifying moments to survive. Go! 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 It was
1: coming from beneath us and
0: on top of us at the same
2: time. There's eight family members inside this apartment trapped in a bedroom three floors up with one way out kill Moss knew at that moment he would be the last one
0: the fire was already on my back the roof was already
2: on fire the, the window, the top of the windowsill was already on fire at that point he coaxed his five cousins and mom into jumping the last two Jaquiel and his 78 year old grandmother Agnes
0: she was so afraid that she started shaking my apologies oh goodness it, it's always something I don't even know what Damn it! And she passed out. Was... Now what? <laughs> Damn, so that's I was clear. holding her. When that's when I had to go to the window carrying her while trying to like get the fire off my leg and everything. So when I dropped, when I let her go,
2: Agnes landed on a mattress someone pulled from a nearby apartment. With seconds left, Shaquille jumped.
0: And then I looked to the left. My grandmother yelling my name. My cousin Tiffany's yelling my name, and I'm sitting there, like, I'm breaking down, but trying to stay strong. It's hard, man.
2: Jaquil and his seven family members all broke bones and suffered burns. To
0: have nobody pass away in the fire is
2: miraculous. Jaquil's uncle, Terry Nelson, drove from Cincinnati to Atlanta when he found out and calls his nephew a hero. The spirit's still in them. They still have breath. They're still alive. Jaquill says it's a blessing they all survived, but it will take some time to heal both physically. Go! and emotionally
0: can't not think about it. It's those little moments like my grandmother's shaking my little cousins calling me like it's those little moments that stand out to me the most.
2: An incredible story. While in the hospital, Jaquil's grandmother tested positive for COVID-19. The family will start physical therapy soon while trying to find a new place to live. In all 18 people were injured in the fire, including a pregnant woman and several other small children. A list of verified fundraising accounts are listed on 11alive.com aimed at helping the victims of Friday's fire. How the fire started is still under investigation.
0: All right. So shout out to that brother who saved his family, literally having to uh, put people down off a third-story building. I hope you guys could hear that clearly. I apologize for the technical difficulties. As I said, my computer is doing some interesting things today. But nonetheless... Uh, thought that that was definitely worthy of a shout out and acknowledgement But not because it's something that doesn't happen a lot It may be something that doesn't get reported a lot But uh, it's something that brothers do and have been doing for generations It's really part of the you know the human condition But it's nonetheless worthy of acknowledgement Because uh, it's not guaranteed how people will manage fear in a traumatic situation And he managed his fear well uh, in protection of his family So definitely shout out to him uh, enigma what's going on I see you Christopher what's happening Brandon um you know Jay kid gravity what's up so yeah you know definitely underreported but these are the kind of things we have to acknowledge because it's not a guarantee that others will um all right so speaking of which um let me see oh wow okay the screen is flickering not sure why In those days I tell you all right, it's not flickering now, so we'll go with that. Uh, so next up, we got an eight year old Maryland boy who raises over fifty thousand dollars for homeless veterans. Right, eight year old Tyler Stallings has been on a mission to help homeless veterans since he was four, and so far, this little superhero has raised over fifty thousand dollars for the cause. As Tyler was watching uh YouTube videos, he stumbled upon one about homeless veterans, he saw vid- videos of veterans holding signs. Uh, To no one responding to their cry for help And he thought this wasn't right He didn't like it um, And his mother uh, helped him with this of course um, As he asked the question If they're heroes Why should they they be on the street Uh, So you can find this article on goodmorningamerica.com But uh, this young man Was successful in doing that I want to shout out to him um, Because it is definitely a lot more Than many adults have done In the midst of this environment And the way things are going MLR, appreciate that generous support, sir. Um, So yeah, shout out to this young man, Tyler, uh, for definitely doing some grown man work uh, in support of uh, the invisible men that people wanna pretend don't exist. Next up, we got a FAMU law student wrote a children's book to motivate black youth to attend school, right? This is an article you can find on floridatrend.com dated uh, December 8th just a few days ago. Okoye Morgan knew he wanted to be a lawyer in high school after years of hard work and dedication. Morgan made his dream come true. Now in his third year at Florida A&M College of Law, Morgan desires to give something back to the community. He gathered his thoughts um, of the importance of a legal education and wrote a children's book called The Boy Who Went to Law School, right? Uh, He says, I wrote a book encouraging youth to enter into a legal profession, into the legal profession, Um, It is important to have a children's book That represents people of color Achieving professional studies such as law Um, Looking at racial disparity in the legal field Morgan points to the 2019 American Bar Association report Listing 85% of lawyers as white Compared to 77% of the U.S. population Only 5% of lawyers are African American 5% are Hispanic and 3% are Asian So shout out to Okoye for that Right. Definitely got to motivate the babies. So shout out to him. Next up, we got a um, story about a black sculptor who builds prosthetics for amputees of colors. It's a Nigerian cat named John Aminem, a 32 year old, former movie special effects expert and sculptor used his extensive experience and knowledge to create hyper-realistic prosthetic ears, nose, fingers, toes, and legs. According to Shop Black, Amonim's inspiration came after his cousin lost his fingers in an accident and summoned a desire to him to get them back. As he said, I was thinking of ways to help him as a sculptor and thought to myself, since I've sculpted human beings, why can't I mold something that can actually be used on the human body? Not to mention he wanted to help others who had lost limbs similar to his cousin gain back what they lost. Uh, he also wanted to make those prosthetics look realistic in terms of skin color. Most prosthetics in in Nigeria are usually white, he says, or are unrealistic. Uh, you rarely find people with black skin uh, prosthetics. He said, I want this to I want this need to be met within Africa. I want to reach out to all blacks all over the world as well by making this process accessible at an affordable rate. This is on BlackEnterprise.com, and it's entitled Black Sculptor Builds Prosthetic uh, for Amputees of Color. So, uh, and they show in the image of it, some, some of the images uh, of his prosthetics and they're beautifully done. So if this is somebody, if or there is somebody you know um, that might enjoy this, definitely hit them to this article, but shout out to him for that. Sometimes it can be the smallest thing that, uh, you know, can give somebody back their dignity. So 153 watching, please like, share, subscribe, um, become members, support the channel. Uh, Definitely do uh, Any or all of those All right. next up We got a young man in Baltimore uh, Newly sworn in Mayor Brandon Scott um, Comes in with the fresh fro And the fade Uh, This was posted December 10th On News1.com He's the 52nd Mayor of Baltimore Working in gun violence Restore the public's trust in government And change Baltimore for the better Mayor Scott is dedicated to building a safer More equitable city Scott 36-year-old progressive Democrat ran on a platform of reform in an effort to divest from previous old guard politics, which left black and brown Baltimoreans at a disadvantage. Right? So as Baltimore is still healing from the 2015 death and subsequent trial of Freddie Gray's murder, coupled with the loss of Congressman Elijah Cummings, who represented Maryland's 7th congressional district, uh, covering portions of Baltimore. So again, you can check this out on newsone.com. You can also go to his website, uh, mayor.baltimorecity.gov. This young man, 36 years old, uh, stepping into place. So as I have not investigated Baltimore, I don't know his background other than what's online, but uh, shout out to the young man stepping up and taking a leadership position nonetheless, right? Uh, Hi, scholar, Malika, what's up brothers? Chief I appreciate that support. Much appreciated. All right. Okay, I think y'all are gonna love this one 14-year-old painter Tyler Gordon Paints LeBron cover for Time Magazine Tyler's portrait of LeBron James Will be on the cover of Time Magazine It may sound like a career-defining moment But it's actually just one of many accomplishments That Tyler has racked up in the past month alone A week ago, he traveled to the Beverly Center in LA To install several paintings Next to work by one of his heroes Jean-Michel Basquiat a week uh, before that, he received a personal call from Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, praising his work, which led to appearances on Good Morning America and even a recent TMZ story. Um, it says he wasn't caught in a dating scandal, but the story revealed musician Janelle Monet commissioned a piece from him. And that's not to mention earlier work he sold to athletes like Richard Sherman. So shout out to this young man, 14 years old, making it happen, right? Beautifully done. Definitely want to acknowledge that, and we got a couple of special shout outs that I want to do after this, so you know that that's that's covering the uh <clears throat> excuse me covering the uh sacred black masculine, but as I said, there were a couple of shout outs that I definitely wanted to kind of put out there i um I'm about to do a review of this I watched this the other day this is a Disney film called Safety. It deals with the true life story of a young man who goes to college and whose younger brother is about to be put into foster care because their mother is on drugs. So he actually takes his younger brother in um, and eventually adopts him while uh, still trying to go to college and play football, even at the earliest part of that, sneaking his younger brother in and out of the dorms uh, for a good period of time. And of course, he runs up against uh, the policies of the university and his football program, and navigating all of this to take care of his brother. Um, Disney is Disney. They have their little moments in there. I'm going to do a review on this, but the story itself is not the problem at all. It's just some interesting choices that Disney makes here and there. But uh, but as far as the, 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 the young man and his younger brother, uh, as I said, I'm going to do a review on this, so I'll go into more details. Shout out to them uh, in terms of the real life story. And of course, the, 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 it's still a positive story nonetheless, so it's one I support and one uh, I suggest uh, we look into if you haven't seen it. It's playing on the Disney Plus app, uh, but it is a powerful story nonetheless, right? One that needs to be supported. Now, this just came across my desk a little earlier. Um, a little earlier, uh, I want to say today, if not yesterday, it's a new book that came out by Carnell Smith, uh, entitled, entitled, Trap By Law, Stop Paying Child Support for Paternity Fraud. Uh, I have not read the book, as I said, I just found out about it, but based on the title alone, um, I think it's at least worthy of acknowledgement, Um, you know, so we'll go from there. But apparently Cardinal Smith is a legal consultant and strategist, so check out um, Trapped by Law, right? Stop paying child support for paternity fraud. And y'all know here on the Onyx Report, when we talk about the blackmail political agenda, Paternity fraud is one of the number one issues. is one of the top three, actually, I think that come up first in the list. So it's definitely something that we need to be talking about on a regular basis. So this might be a book you wanna check out, right? Next up, we got an article, right? By GQ.com called Visible Men, Black Fathers Talk About Losing Sons to Police Violence. Now y'all know, I just talked about this recently. How you, you black fathers or sons you know who've been slain particularly by police or vigilante violence um you know particularly due to race uh they're they're seldom heard from, and I did a show a couple of shows ago actually where I talked about the way these brothers are not only ignored but they're not even used, and I use that word purposely, they're not even used by organizations or politicians or political parties. Uh, in other words, they are completely invisible in many respects. And the sad part about that is for some of these brothers that have actually set up nonprofits to try and refute and fight against the treatment of our boys in particular, our men in regard to law enforcement, a lot of their their, their organizations and their, their ventures go unacknowledged, unsupported because they don't often have a platform underneath them that broadcasts what they're doing to the world or for the world, or at least attempting to try to do Right, so much of the time they're ignored So I, fu- I saw this article not long after I did that show And I was remarking before on how I was even seeing mothers of slain sons going into politics, being welcomed Of course we talked about the uh, Democratic Party's Democrat use of mothers of the movement And the complete absence of fathers And the way that these institutions, such as the Democrat Party uh, Have played a role in making black fathers invisible uh, Especially when they're experiencing extreme Uh, Trauma in regard to the loss of their own boys. And yet we've not seen anything really um, that's begun to seriously push back against the violence these black males face. So it's an interesting moment to see GQ finally do an article where they showcase a number of fathers and talk about what they're doing. Uh, It's a powerful piece you want to check out. Uh, As I said, GQ.com, you can find it. It's entitled Visible Men. So this article being hopefully the uh, I won't say the absolute first, but uh, as far as recent reporting, the first of hopefully many that will begin to highlight what black fathers are dealing with and the extent to which they have been systematically and and, and going back to especially 2015 ignored. And that includes George Floyd, um, who, of course, is one of the most widely known in the last uh, several months, last year, of course, who was who was killed by a police officer his uncle played a significant role in raising him and yet there's been very little mention of him so the article does do that credit and as you can see it features some of the faces of some of these brothers which i would say few of us have actually seen on any wide scale platform uh which you know for me is sickening but nevertheless um i think it just needed to be at least put on the table to be looked at and supported uh so support the article and definitely uh, share it and talk about these brothers Because I got into a debate a few weeks ago about this uh, And the sister was trying to explain to me How, you know, there really wasn't anything wrong You know, black fathers were just ignored And they weren't lauded to the same degree as black mothers uh, Especially, you know, in terms of politics Because, you know, black men just, you know Aren't as interested in being as outspoken these, All this crap But the reality is, when I asked her, I said, Well, how many of these black fathers do you know by name? How many can you identify? And there was silence. And she said, Well, I can think of Trayvon Martin's father, but that was the name she gave him, Trayvon Martin's father. I said, Exactly. He has no name. He has no face. He could walk by you on the street and you wouldn't know who he was. And that's ridiculous but it goes to show you how in many respects, the absence of black males in regard to how they feel, what they're experiencing, what they've gone through, what they've lost, it's made invisible. And in an interesting way, even their sons are made invisible, right? Because they become fodder for other people's political agendas, for other demographics, political agendas, and, and the actions that these agendas end up engaging in, especially when they're organizationally based, End up doing nothing to move the needle on lessening police brutality and homicide and vigilante homicide against black males. This is why we need to make sure that we make you know that we we let these brothers' voices be heard in a variety of ways, right? What's up, D? Right. Um. All right. So let me get it going back here. So shout out to them. And now we can uh, kind of shift into some current events. These will be short tonight. Um, I'm still you know, under the weather. I'm doing my best to, to do my impression of somebody who was not, but uh, I will be you know, passing out not long after this show. So we're we gonna get it in, but the current events are gonna be a little short tonight. But I thought there were some things that we should uh, definitely be aware of. This is breaking news uh, literally within the last few hours. Uh, Long overdue, Negro Leagues now part of the Major League Baseball stats uh, counted in MLB records. So, you know, basically the ignored, um, you know, 3,400 players who were part of the Negro Leagues, uh, their stats will now be counted. Uh, 3,400 players were part of these seven leagues that existed from 1920 to 1948, Right, Major League Baseball on Wednesday announced that records of Negro League players and teams will be included in the game's official statistics uh, due in, in, in a long-overdue recognition uh, gesture. Before Jackie Robinson broke professional baseball's race barrier with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947, Black players were barred from MLB play, depriving many baseball fans from seeing some of the best hitters, pitchers, and fielders of the 20th century. MLB is now comprised of two leagues, the, the National League, founded in 1876, and the American League, which began in 1901. Their champions have met in the World Series in almost, uh, in, in almost every October since 1903. Uh, and along the way, several other upstart leagues have challenged the AL and NL without lasting success. Contributions of those four other groups, the American Association, Federal League, Union Association, and the Players League were recognized in 1969 in a report in 1969 by MLB's Special Committee on Baseball Records but the omission of the Negro Leagues from consideration was clearly, this is a quote, an error that demands today's designation. 2020. Hey, I mean, I'm I'm glad it happened because a lot of these brothers deserve to be remembered. It's just strange that it took till 2020 for that to be an, a, even a consideration. Now, I know you guys can't see it. You know, the way my camera's set up, I can only pull back so far. But um, lately, I've been wearing the uh, merchandise from the store that you can find on Institute for Black Male Studies. But normally uh, and regularly, I wear my MLB, uh, I'm sorry, not MLB, my Negro League uh, Baseball League jerseys in honor of the legacy of black athletes who were incredible, albeit ignored. Right. So um, this was one that I definitely want to put out there in honor of these brothers because they've done some tremendous work um, and often uh, are barely remembered, most particularly by our own. I mean, I remember I went to, I went to the hospital a few years ago and I was sitting in the lobby and I had on one of my jerseys for Josh Gibson. I had an older Caucasian dude walk up to me and he said, do you know who that is? Whose shirt you're wearing? And I said, yeah, it's Gibson. He said, man, he said, I saw him play once. He said, my dad took me to see him play. He said, after that, MLB baseball was, he was just like, it was, it was, it was whatever. He said, but when I watched the Negro League players, he was like, it, they were incredible. Um, I wasn't actually even offended that he asked me who I, you know, if, if I knew who they were, because I would often wear these jerseys in the class and my students didn't know who they were. You know what I mean? People on the street didn't know who they were. So I got it, you know, but... To hear somebody who could say that they went to watch these games as a kid, that was moving in and of itself. And to be honest with you, I'm not even a baseball fan. I just appreciated uh, the role they played. I enjoyed you know, what I could find out about them. I enjoyed films about them, you know. but um, it was still another thing to kind of hear that. So shout out to these brothers for the long overdue recognition um, because it has long since been well-deserved. What's up, Black Uru? Ain't seen you in a minute. Hopefully, we'll see you in the after and the after show. Um, but yeah, 2020, interesting. So next up, this is this is one that a lot of people had a lot of fun with on my Facebook page. Uh, Marvel just confirmed Guardian of the Galaxy's Star Lord is bisexual, and so there's a, an image there um, from the recent comic book that came out. Guardians of the Galaxy, um, the character play who's who's the character's name was Peter Quill uh, is supposed to play a polyamorous bisexual. By the way, they're they're retroactively doing this with James T. Kirk as well in Star Trek, where they're uh, actually using the same language, polyamorous bisexual, right for both characters, which is going to be interesting to see uh, because uh, the actor who plays. Peter Quill in the movie series is fairly conservative from my understanding, so it's going to be interesting to see which way they go with this, Um, but at the end of the day, this is the direction Marvel is taking uh, the character Star-Lord, and this is alongside what I reported before in terms of replacing many of the male heroes with female heroes, so we've seen that happen with Wolverine, with Thor, with uh, the Black Panther um, and you know, I'm sure a host of others that just don't come to mind right at this moment, uh, Daredevil, you know, right, all being replaced and have been replaced at one point or another, uh, Iron Man with, uh, female characters, but for the male characters now, many of them are exploring, uh, their bisexuality, their homosexuality in, in all new ways, and my issue with this as a 40-year comic collector is that I would rather see newly developed, well-written characters And see them doing this kind of thing with characters that are already beloved. But anyway, this particular story you can check out on your own, pinknews.co.uk, and go into more details. They talk more explicitly about the episodes, uh, one in particular, not the episodes, the, uh, the various comics, where apparently Peter Quill goes to like another universe and lives for about 140 years. And by the time they show you the end of that time period before he comes back to the regular universe, he is in a polyamorous bisexual relationship with a couple so enjoy yeah artisan i knew you <laughs> i knew you catch that you know i put these things in here for you too brother so you know definitely want to hear your thoughts about it um right so go over and check out shop talk live he usually broadcasts live on sundays and um you know he is in uh talks last i heard To buy his own comic book store So keep up with him And hopefully we can support him In that endeavor Um, So We shall see Right So anyway That's what's up With that Next up We have a 60 year old woman Accused of sex acts With a 12 year old boy In Ayton County Certain she was serving As his guardian Right Uh, She was charged Tuesday With multiple sex crimes That accused her of having sexual relationship with 12-year-old boy, Sarah Williams of White Pond Road, Williston, was the boy's guardian when the sex acts occurred in Aiken County between June and October, sheriff's authorities said. DSS officials found out about the allegations and met with the child on October 20th at the home where he had been placed by social workers. He confessed that the allegations were true, um, according to sheriff's reports. Uh, according to the warrants, Williams gave, gave and received oral sex from the boy She also engaged uh, in sexual intercourse with him. Williams was charged with six counts of criminal sexual conduct with a minor. You can find this in AugustaCrime.com with the title, I Gave You Woman 60 is Accused of Sex Acts with Boy 12 in Aiken County. Now, I do these things regularly. I report these things regularly because I found that when I didn't, Whenever the subject would come up about the vulnerability of boys, particularly black boys, I would hear the same kind of stock answers You know, quite often. I would hear um, that's something that only happens in white communities. I would hear um, black women don't do this. I would hear that we really, if we're gonna talk about sexual assault and rape, we gotta keep the conversation on women uh, and girls because it really doesn't happen to boys in any significant way. I would hear all these kinds of things. And I would, I would argue over and over again, that much of this is unreported, but but or, or or unregarded even when reported. But honestly, you know the data is catching up in many ways, and the reports are actually fairly constant. But they're usually in these obscure, small little papers. You don't really see these, you know, in these major, you know, kind of things. Like even now, AugustaCrime.com. How many of y'all read that every week, right? But nonetheless, these are the kind of stories that take place on a regular basis. And it speaks to the vulnerability of our boys and yet not a lot of dialogue about it. And when you bring it up, you're accused of hating women. You're accused of being sexist. You're accused of, so bringing up what women are doing to boys ends up being turned around and framed as you having some kind of problem with women for bringing it up. But we're not gonna focus on the vulnerability of the boys. We're not gonna focus on the crimes that these women are committing. And the other thing I always hear as well, you know, boys not only like it, It's a a badge of achievement for them. They don't take it seriously, so why why should I? Well, if that's how boys have been brainwashed, you don't punish them by ignoring it. Now, let's be real. Many of these female predators prey on the fact that boys have been socialized to see this in a very particular way, although reports suggest that the trauma they experience isn't a whole lot different from what girls their age experience. Again, Shout out to Dr. Tommy Curry and Ebony Utley's paper, She Touched Me. Read through that if you get a chance, go on to academia.com, look for, Tommy, look for Dr. Tommy J. Curry and check that paper out. It'll blow you away about some of the details regarding what many of our boys are going through and young men. And don't get it twisted, it still happens to grown men in a variety of ways. But right, Black room. don't be surprised if they somehow blame the boy. This is what consistently happens. Right, consistently happens. They find new ways to blame boys for their own victimization. And of course, when it happens to girls, if you raise any questions about the story, you're inherently a misogynist, right? And that's the other thing that that I noticed tends to happen. Now, I'll give credit to this report. They didn't do it with this one. But a lot of the time, even in the comments, when you post a story like this, the immediate response by a lot of people who have a fairly gynocentric view of the world is to find ways to humanize her, to talk about the trauma she's she's experienced, to talk about what she's been through to cause all of this pain, you know, what what happened, who must have abused her, even if there's no evidence of it, right? Who must have abused her to make this happen, to make her do these things. And, And notice the key word, make her do these things, right? Subtext being that women in and of themselves would never do it, but they do, right? Just like my boy Green Gorilla shot it out in his show, not an hour before mine. I don't even know if it's still going, but uh, he had a live show where he was talking about we get this Victorian uh, era idea of womanhood and in our attempts to somehow make the genders equal, we have no problem pointing out the misogyny of men and the sexism of men. But when it comes to advantages on the basis of gender that stem from these old Victorian notions of femininity and womanhood feminists themselves don't speak out on them in any great degree. I have never seen a protest calling for women to be as incarcerated as men. I have never seen a protest by a by, you know, a group of feminists calling for women to be held accountable or for us to breach the 63 percent um a sentencing rate by being, being excuse me, meaning that men are sentenced to 63 longer, 63% longer sentences for the same crimes as women. I have never seen a protest led by feminists asking for women to be charged the same way. It's really an interesting kind of cherry picked notion of equality. If we're still using that term equality, even though in the black community, when we look at uh, employment we, we can definitely see in a number of different areas where women and I i don't even know why I just said employment there's so many other areas beyond that where women outpace men and we're still using terms like equality but we don't also talk about how there, there's a kind of cherry picking on what women should be held accountable for and what they shouldn't but there's no such cherry picking when it comes to what men need to be doing or what men need to experience so I point out these stories not to be, uh, not to attack women arbitrarily, but to really point out their humanity, because that's at the basis of what we're talking about here, right? Much of the time when you're looking at, you know, male sexual aggressors, yeah, much of the time they've been abused themselves, much of the time they have, you know, psychological issues. There's a humanity there, whether we want to talk about it or not. But to ignore it and make them monsters, but then when it comes to female aggressors, make them human, Go out our way to do so and then to almost blame the boys for the situation. That's a level of, of hypocrisy and a few other things that I can't put up with. All right. So, anyway. All right. Cornbread, appreciate that support. Thank you. All right. Y'all remember to continue supporting. All right. All right. This one, just more reflective of the time. Um, because at the end of the day, the concept coming out of, uh, attorney Antonio Moore's work, as far as the decadent veil is accurate. You know, when we look at, um, what is going on with celebrities or you have handpicked figures who are entertaining and supportive being used as examples of the status of black life. Uh, While we ignore the statistics that tell us far more about the everyday folks that we deal with uh, A lot of that is falling apart And so this particular story here called right now Hit songwriters driving uber Right by mark savage bbc.com It's a very interesting report Right talking about uh, how some of these songwriters have been impacted Right See bgs in the building what's up sir Um so let me get right to what I want to think about. The article starts to really highlight um, particular performer some of you are familiar with, All right? Where'd he go? Passed him up, but I definitely want to include him. Oh, here we go. All right. So, uh MP3s heard from musicians, including chicks, Nile Rogers and saxophonist Soweto Kinch, as well as music managers, uh, Maria Forte and Kwame Quatin or Quatin. forgive me on the pronunciation. Roger said he hadn't looked into his streaming income before COVID-19. He said, because my tour revenue has been so substantial that I could support my entire um, organization. After looking into the figures this year, he was completely shocked. He said, we don't even know what a stream is worth said the musician, adding that there's no way you can find out because non-disclosure agreements between record labels and streaming services. We must have transparency, he calls for. The guitarist and producer said record labels retain up to 82% of the royalties they receive from streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music, calling the system just ridiculous. And he accused major record labels of deliberately withholding money from artists, said I look at the record labels as my partners, The interesting thing is that every time I've audited my partners, I find money. Every single time. And sometimes it's staggering, the amount of money. Rogers, whose credits include Schick's La Freak, Madonna's Like a Virgin, and David Bowie's Let's Dance, said the industry needed to change the way streaming payments are calculated. Currently, each play of a song is counted as a sale, which gives labels the lion's share of the income, he said. But Rogers went on to argue a stream was more like a radio broadcast or a license of the original recording which would give artists about 50% of the royalties uh so he goes on to argue from there trying to make um you know make space for the artists to actually receive compensation for their work but y'all know we've heard this story uh for generations as far as how this tends to play out and so the end result in this kind of moment we have with COVID is that uh You have many of these famous songwriters and such driving Uber, right? Right. So, Obi, appreciate that support. So definitely what we have going on right now, right? Next up, we have uh, Minneapolis City Council, right? Votes to cut millions from police budget amid record crime rates. Minneapolis City Council, which tried and failed to dismantle the police department in the wake of George Floyd's death, voted early Thursday to shift nearly $8 million from next year's police budget to other city services as a part of an effort to transform public safety in the city. Controversial plan was approved unanimously as part of the city's 2021 budget. Mayor Jacob Fry had earlier threatened a veto to the budget, calling the police cuts irresponsible as the city confronts an unprecedented wave of violence and scores of police officer departures since Floyd's death that have left the department struggling to respond to emergencies. In a statement early Thursday, Fry praised the council for removing language that would have permanently shrunk the size of the force by about 130 officers. In what he described as the defining moment of our city, council members who supported the safety for all plan argued the city could no longer tolerate what they described as a broken system of policing in a department that has been resistant to reform. Yeah, it's about to go down in Minneapolis. We're gonna see how far this goes, where it goes, especially when we start to talk about the eviction apocalypse which are around the corner, right? We're going to see if we will be in, in for in 2021, another round of mass uprisings based on poverty marcellus appreciate that support on the cash app thank you right so this is what we're looking at right things are getting more tense uh there are people on both sides of this argument about whether whether or not um you know police should be defunded entirely of course i think we know particularly in poor communities and black communities in 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 particular um there are all kind of ramifications that can come from this some may be viewed as positive some is highly problematic, uh, but it's going to be uh, interesting nonetheless. I promise you that. Uh, Gold Professor, appreciate the support. D Rock, Gabrielle, Professor, thank you. Good to see you in here again. Been a little while. Um, so, Black Uru Strike says, Yep, music mostly. All the record companies are stalling. It's built into their business models. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, moving in uh, to another one. This one. Kind of blew up my social media, and basically, what it is, is it's a father who shared a number of tweets. He had some interactions with his baby's mother, as far as his ability to see his daughter, uh, Marcus. Appreciate the support. All right. So this father, in trying to see his daughter, you know, again posted a series of tweets where he's going back and forth, much of the time being ignored. Uh, but really, trying to coordinate a day when he can see his daughter, right? And you know when his, you know, his baby mother does respond, it's usually very curt. You know, she says at one point, um, uh, "Don't text my phone." It's seven fifty-eight. Like we ain't sleep. Uh, you know, and then she says it's a wrap. You you texted your your mom texted me. I don't appreciate that. Uh, you know, and and all the while, in the midst of all of this, you know, threatening. many ways, um, for him to not be able to see her. You know, uh, he basically, she says at different points, you know, I didn't say yes, that you can, um, you know, I'm not going to be here, but really just kind of stalling all efforts. And for those of you that can't actually see the screen, just seeing the sheer number of tweets that he's, you know, putting up or texts, excuse me, that he's putting up, uh, trying to get her attention, uh, definitely struck a chord. With many of my supporters, because many of them could talk about having these same experiences uh, themselves, and and, and it began, it really blew up into a huge debate amongst uh, you know many of the subscribers to my page about what the best strategy of response is. Some argued that uh, fathers should walk away entirely. Some argued about getting legal representation. Some told stories about sometimes even up into the hundred thousand range of how much they've had to pay lawyers just to coordinate a basic, you know, basic uh, visit, uh, and some really traumatic kind of stories at that. If you hadn't seen them def- uh, before, um, shout out Marcus, shout out officer Faulkner, uh, for the support. I hope you're feeling better, brother. Um, he's going through it That COVID is no joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, um, uh, you know, even here in Fresno County, it's, 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 it's ramping up. So y'all be careful out there. So nonetheless, if you get a chance to, you know, look through these various uh, texts, you can see the kind of tensions that many black men are uh, very frustrated with dealing with. That's right. Rise above the world, parental alienation. Absolutely. Uh, So the debate about what men should be doing in response to this is definitely raging. But it is raging because of the intensity of the frustration that many men have with not being able to be fathers, um, against uh, the mother's willingness to allow them into their child's space. Um, and this is something that you know we don't really see in uh, you know major mainstream films, narratives, television shows, or even articles. Much of what we hear, you know, and we've been hearing for generations, is that fa- black fathers just don't care but the data suggests otherwise, right? The data suggests that especially since the seventies, when you had this massive drop in black marriages, what you did see since then, you know, has been a diminishment of marriage, true. Um, You know, I've said this for the longest that I think black men have been very much involved in a silent uh, protest uh, by avoiding marriage, but they've actually had an increase of participation in their children's lives. And that's something nobody really—I won't say nobody, but not a, not enough people talk about. Uh, so these kind of cases are starting to be looked at in a very different way, um, and it's high time that they are, right? Um, let's see. Yet again, shout out to Black guru Strikes. He says she's trying to psychologically break him. You almost have uh, to view it as engaging in a kind of acting job to try to mentally and emotionally separate. From what the mother is doing Right All kinds of responses to this But this is unfortunately Far more uh, prevalent When you talk to black men Who have been grappling with this For quite a while And it it really does suggest um, A new time period Right Where we figure out a new way For men themselves To be able to navigate Some of this because the trauma it has on the lives of children, the trauma it has on the fathers themselves, uh, it, it doesn't go away. It becomes a multi-generational affair. And in many ways, some of these mothers are engaging in this behavior after having grown up with it uh, in the first place. One of uh, one of the brothers in the comment section, one Marcus Aurelius, told the story of um, a colleague of his who had the same experience. The mother wouldn't let him see the child, um, things of that nature. and. Uh, the daughter grew up to become very frustrated with men and did the same thing to her partner, right? Same thing her mother did. Even after finding out that her father actually did try to see her, but was blocked by the mother, she still engaged in the same behavior. And a lot of it, what I said in response, what is what you know you tend to have is that fathers are often viewed as the the you know the first superheroes, the first knight to save the damsel in distress when it comes to daughters. And, you know, often children aren't told, you know, what mothers do to block the participation of the fathers. It's usually all on the father. But even after finding out what happened, sometimes what you'll have happen, even with a grown woman who's experienced this as a child, the frustration goes from the father not being there to the father not having fought through this trap well enough. Right? In other words, that, you know, to be a black father, you have to be able to fight through the impossible. And if you're not able to, that failure marks how much you don't love her, and in turn becomes a negative mark against all black men. All right. So when I say multigenerational, this is kind of what I'm referring to. This kind of problematic um, perspective on black fathers that often stems from the childhood experiences of uh, those who become parents. But the downside to this is that nobody talks about the way in which women can use the state and use family courts can use a number of different institutions that they have at their disposal that men don't have in many ways against fathers. Right. Okay. So um, before we jump into our main topic, got a little bit of a commercial uh, here that I want to kind of um, extend. Hopefully uh, you all will Participate. I got some goodies for you that I think
1: you'll like. So let me move some things around. As I said, my computer's acting real brand new. And it is an all of a sudden kind of thing. Let's see if we can get away from the flickering this time. There we go.
0: Here we go. I swear, man, every damn week it's some kind of problem. Ah, this mess is frustrating. I apologize.
2: I am
1: trying to get this shit right, but ooh. Whew. This is annoying. This is annoying.
0: All right, support the Institute for Blackmail Studies. You can join the Patreon support group. You can also visit the site itself at www.instituteforblackmailstudies.com, And once there, you can definitely um, click on the menu link at the top right and check out the merchandise that's available to you and check out, um, as well as some of the newer items that we are just getting in. As you guys know, in the last uh, show, we did uh, one on the Black Brotherhood uh, commandments, right? And we, we identified, or I identified after the show, the top 20 that I decided to include uh, in that, and you can check them out here. So I'm not gonna read all of them, but I'll just read a few, right? Number one, we shall respect one another. Uh, number three, we shall not pocket watch, right? Um, uh, number seven, we shall not throw fellow brothers under the bus for female validation. Um, You know, number 10, we shall not act like our mothers. Um, You know, just a variety of things there. Um, We shall give a brother the benefit of the doubt. Number 16, uh, we shall avoid as many mistakes as possible, but never make the same ones. Uh, Number 18, so there's a variety of them here. And from there, as I promised, I went ahead and created some of the newer shirts that are available on the site, right? So you can go on to the Institute for Black Male Studies site, and you can see Uh, Three shirts, but they're really, uh, you know, well, yeah, actually three new shirts. So you have two in the middle and the right that are the same uh, shirt in terms of the content, but they're different designs for the uh, uh, Black Brotherhood uh, Commandments. And then, of course, the new one on the left, Black Fatherhood is the Cure. Uh, Those shirts are newly available just today. So check them out if you haven't already
1: uh, and support the Institute for Black Male Studies. All right. So again, working out
0: these technical difficulties. I apologize for that, but they are nonetheless what is on the table. So we're 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 getting through them. Um. All right. So the subject for today are black men at war alone. There's a lot of people that wrote in uh very quickly on this one. Even even like five seconds after I posted the advertisement for it, brothers were writing in right away. Uh, about that. And I want to talk a little bit about how I'm framing this, right? Because it's the basis of what we're looking at. Um, I asked the question because, you know, the more and more I look at the data and I read the stories of individual men, the more I see the same kinds of situations over and over again.
1: So I decided to kind of take a snapshot of a number of different areas uh, in black male
0: life. So I decided to look at law enforcement. I decided to look at activism. Right. I decided to look at uh, intimate relationships. I decided to look at politics. Um, I even decided to look at school. Just glancing at them, you know, just looking at whether or not black
1: men can say on a wider scale than uh, than not. That they're supported. And if so, by whom? Whom are, are they not supported by?
0: 344 watching. Again, please like, share, and subscribe to
1: support the channel, All right? But let's look, because I thought it interesting to kind of see some of the reports coming out, All right? Some of the reports coming out, I thought, merited some reflection. So the
0: first one we're going to look at is a white paper report on excited delirium syndrome. You can find this on cbsnews.com, excited delirium, the controversial syndrome that can be used to protect police from misconduct charges, right? Um, This was mentioned in the deaths of George Floyd and Elijah McClain, uh, but some in the medical world are skeptical it's actually a condition, right? Buried in the char- charging documents in the George Floyd murder case is something called excited delirium. One of the junior officers mentioned it during Floyd's arrest. We had never heard of excited delirium, but discovered it is widely used by police and paramedics to describe a life-threatening syndrome among suspects exhibiting wild behavior and extreme strength. Now hold up. Wild behavior and extreme strength. Strength. Now these go back to very old ideas about black men being savage, right? Uh, Being animalistic, harboring uh, an animal-like strength, strength, and that being used as a justification for lethal force. We've seen this over and over again. Uh, The case that most sticks out of mind, of course, is George Floyd. But uh, but even a few years ago, this was the argument used against Michael Brown, right? This strong, incredible Hulk-like strength that forces officers to have to use lethal force over any other mechanism, right? So, again, um, I said that it's being used to justify injecting them with a powerful chemical restraint called ketamine. But in the medical world, we found deep skepticism over whether excited delirium is even a real condition and concern about an over-reliance on ketamine and the use of excited delirium as a shield to protect police from charges of misconduct. These issues are at the heart of five federal, state. Uh, and city investigations sparked by the death of another black man named Elijah McLean. A 2018 review of 66 studies and articles referencing excited delirium found that it was cited in more than 10% of deaths in police custody. Though it is supported by some in law enforcement and emergency medicine, it is not recognized by the American Medical Association, the World Health Organization, or the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, Paul Applebaum, who oversees changes to psychiatry's main diagnostic manual, says excited delirium is bad science based on faulty studies that grew out of the 1980s cocaine epidemic. Interesting. Delirium uh, is bad science based on faulty studies. Uh, let me see. Uh, so when they interview Dr. Applebaum, he says excited delirium is a perplexing term from my perspective and he's being interviewed by a reporter named Dickerson. Dickerson says, perplexing, why? Dr. Applebaum responds, he says, it it doesn't correspond to any discrete reality out there in the world. So it's a catch-all phrase, says Dickerson. Applebaum says, it's a wastebasket phrase. It also had utility for the police since so many of the early cases and some of the continuing cases occur in police custody and result in death. It's a way of explaining what happened without necessarily bearing responsibility for it. If there's a bad outcome, you have a ready excuse at hand. And as Applebaum discovered, it is disproportionately associated with one sector of the population. They tend to be young, they tend to be male, and they tend to be African-American. Again, cbsnews.com, title, Excited Delirium, right? So in terms of law enforcement, we all know, right, that this has been a constant in black life. Since, you know, more than likely since the 1600s, we've seen these kind of dynamics at play. But this is an interesting dimension of it, right? The use of chemical restraint, ketamine, and uh, the use of this new designation that is not apparently supported by any major uh, scientific platform to justify the mistreatment, abuse, and arbitrary homicide of black men entitled Excited Delirium, which really, if you just look at the terminology suggest, you know, just a massive irrational act that is threatening uh, and potentially uh, in a a potentially fatal manner right to the police officers at hand, right? This is the very type of concept that was used early on, not only to justify abuse, even on slave plantations. If you talk about something like drapedomania and shout out to my boy, Quadwo, who sent me the article. Appreciate that. Um, But this is real interesting, right? The justifications that are still being used in 2020 that mirror approaches that were used in 17 and 1800s um, that are still kind of at play to this day, right? You know, so exactly. It's kind of a wow, but not shock kind of moment, Jaron. I agree, right? But these are the kind of things we're seeing. And these are the kind of justifications that are are being used not only on large men like George Floyd, but even on boys, right? Because this is the kind of thing. When we look at the data, we see, that as early as five years old, black boys are are said to be seen as bigger than they are and be considered a threat even at that tender age of five. So when you start to talk about the, you know, the repercussions of something like excited delirium, um, you can see it's widespread use, um, if not directly challenged. And part of challenging it is even knowing that it's being used, which is uh, a major issue in and of itself because as I was sent this article, I didn't see it anywhere else. It didn't naturally just kind of come up in my, um, in my queue as, as you know, I tend to find these things It had to be sent. So there's a kind of arbitrariness to some of this. And I definitely suggest that uh, you keep your eye on it, right? But when we talk about law enforcement and we talk about black men being on their own, let me kind of back up some of what I'm talking about here. Um, uh, I think this was a, let me see. Yeah, this was, this was a, a chart that I put together earlier this year, in fact, and I presented it on a show in more detail. I'm not gonna go into all of it right now, but basically the purpose of this chart was to show that not only are black men most directly under threat for police violence, but black heterosexual men at that. And part of what I showed using some of the data available, and you can look at the sources and use the various sources. You can go find them yourselves. Uh, It showed that, you know, really didn't have, uh, we don't have a large population of LGBT uh, and of that population, very few are actually uh, killed by police officers every year. Uh, And and too much of the time when we find that some are, they're often killed because they're perceived as black men, right? But as you can see at the top from 2015 to 2019, the number of black men versus black women killed uh, definitely lets you know you know, who this situation kind of uh, most impacts, right? Very clearly, heterosexual black men. And yet to say that is considered a problem. There are people that are signing off on this show right now because I said that. There are people that routinely write me in frustration because I said that. And I say that regularly. And I don't say that to suggest that others don't have problems and that there aren't verifiable issues that everybody has to deal with on one level or another, but I share it very purposely because what I find, even in the organizations that claim to be responding to the arbitrary killing of black people, and they like to use that kind of terminology, what ends up happening is the terminology itself is used to kind of obfuscate who's actually suffering. And so we end up focusing on groups that are statistically a fraction of who's actually suffering when it comes to police homicide and yet they take up the space of those most sought after. You know, and somehow even just using the term heterosexual black male becomes problematic in and of itself. So I produced this chart to highlight the extent to which this is the reality. This is the absolute reality when it comes to this. And I can actually say that the numbers, even for black male deaths are low because they have a lot to do with what's being reported, has a lot to do with, um, going through a variety of different offices. There are a number of reasons that even the numbers are low, but even though I think they're low, you can still see, you know, in terms of ratio, you know, who this impacts the most and the websites that report on this keep going up and down. The guardians counted, it was excellent in terms of how it kept up, but it only had like two years. And then that was it. Washington post uh, has recently done several years in and of itself. Um, but, you know, you, you, you got to kind of dig for this information. And I think many know that it's a problem. It's embarrassing on many fronts. And I think it's internationally embarrassing, which is one of the reasons The Guardian's site, uh, The Counted, which is still up, but it only covers, I think it covers like 2015 and 16. The reason that was so important too, is because The Guardian is, of course, an internationally read uh, source of information. And it was embarrassing in the, to the United States, right? To have this international, uh, site reporting on police homicides of black men in the United States. And those numbers to be, when well, it wasn't limited to just black men, it was talking about, you know, citizens across race and gender and so on and so forth. But, you know, they they did pro- pro- produce the ratios and black men and Native American men were killed at the most, at the highest
1: numbers and the highest ratios, I should say. Right. And then you have something like this
0: kind of found out about this um, uh, over a tweet that I was forwarded. My apologies, uh, I should have recorded the name. I usually like to shout people out that do that, so I apologize. But uh, to the brother that sent me this, thank you. Uh, But this was a report about 42-year-old protest leader Chris Smith shot and killed Friday. Hours after protest leader Travis Nagdi was shot and killed in late November, Chris Smith remembered the young man fondly. He's going to be missed over here because he was really one of the good ones, Smith told the Courier Journal at the time. Today, those who knew Smith have found themselves saying similar things about the 42-year-old business owner who was a regular at protests over the death of Breonna Taylor. On Friday, Smith was shot and killed in the 200 block of North 26th Street, according to a chaplain who helped identify his body. His death is one of, uh, of more than 150 homicides in Louisville this year a number that has blown past the city's previous record of 117 homicides in 2016. Neither Louisville police nor the coroner's office have confirmed Smith as the victim, but Stachelle Busey, a local pastor and friend of Smith, said she was with Smith's wife when she identified his body at University of Louisville Hospital. Just like everybody else, he was fond. He was finding his niche, finding his voice at the protest uh, where morning one, then we lose another with Travis, a lost brother. Today, we lost another one. And what they're referring to, and this was actually the tweet, um, right? And it says active Louisville protest leaders, Travis Nagdi and Chris Smith have been murdered in the last two weeks. No suspects in custody. There is a suspect in custody now uh, for Travis, uh, pictured on the left, um, but there are a lot of questions about this. So looking at law enforcement, and kind of transitioning over to activism, one of the things we can see is how when you hear about, you know, people being killed in relation to protest activism, who do you hear about? Who dies? Most particularly at protests that are earmarked, or I should say targeted at bringing light about black male death. Who are the protesters that die? Here on the Onyx Report, we've talked about the last few years um, where especially in cities like Ferguson, we've seen protesters who've been very public about their work arbitrarily killed in questionable circumstances.
1: A number of whom in Ferguson, in the Ferguson area, were burned alive in their cars. Y'all still hear a lot talked about in regard to that? How many of you even heard about these last two killings and yet? When the question of black men and activism
0: comes up, what do we hear? Well, black men are too scared. Too few black men are activists. Black men don't believe in protest. No, black men don't have a problem with protest. They have a problem with the disingenuous notion that their lives are not under more threat when they do protest. And it's not just about arbitrary killing, even though that is, of course, the most extreme issue. But it can also be about arbitrary arrests. And When you're talking about poor people who don't have means That's a big deal. And when black men go to jail, especially after protests, there is no guarantee that they're out at five o'clock to do a news headline. Or to tweet or Instagram about their experience just so they can bring awareness to the protest. No, they may not get out for another month. They could very well die in custody. Or just lose their jobs, employment, apartments, whatever, because they're locked up longer than they expected to be are more apt to have a warrant. And it doesn't have to be for anything violent or crazy. It could be something as simple as a speeding ticket they couldn't afford to pay. But these kind of arbitrary hyper-ticketing issues are a factor as well, especially when we know that black men tend to be pulled over at high rates, especially in predominantly black areas. So these are the kind of issues that end up um, reinforcing
1: what black men experience. Right? And yet... Not a lot of discussion that I found about this. So so far, we know in terms of
0: law uh, law enforcement and activism, there are some issues. Let's look at another piece. Some of you may have seen this, right? It's a recent Black Lives Matter power grab and internal revolt. Revolt. Um, this is done by Apple uh, dot News Politico. Just from the beginning, uh, BLM was a grassroots effort. There's much to debate that. Go see my older interviews um, uh, with Nyota Ohuru. She breaks that down um, very well um, and also talks about her friend Darren Seals and gives some inside information about the rise of BLM, not necessarily the formation of it, but the rise of it, most particularly in Ferguson at the death of Michael Brown and the way they absorbed media attention and resources. Right away from uh, Ferguson locals who were trying to develop their activism in response to world attention. Right, You had just a group of people come in and absorb all the attention and resources and then leave town. And when I talked about earlier, some of the fathers, Michael Brown's father had actually started a grassroots nonprofit where he was trying to raise attention about this kind of arbitrary killing of black men. And many of the funds that should have went to his organization instead went to others, including BLM. So uh, this, this this story uh, is definitely related to that, right? So it says, um, the idea to keep power concentrated in the hands of its members, the people, this is BLM, it says that's changing after a summer of protests that made BLM a household name again. Those atop the movement are making a series of moves to alter its power structure, organizing a political action committee, forming corporate partnerships, adding a third organizing arm, and demanding an audience with president-elect uh, Joe Biden. The move has triggered a mutiny in the ranks. Ten local chapters are severing ties with the Black Lives Matter Global Network, as the national leadership is now known. They are furious that Patrice Cullors, its remaining co-founder, assumed the role of executive director of the group and made these decisions without their input. Import, input, excuse me. That's a move that, to some, signaled a rebuke of its leaderful structure. Right, leaderful meaning that they were supposed to have no central leadership. Everybody was supposed to have an equal voice. If you haven't checked it out, I think it was last night, uh, Yvette Carnell gave an interesting overview of BLM and this leaderful structure and how it does not work, right? Anyway, um, you know, uh, they accused the uh, colors of overreaching. Now, I had problems, not only with uh, this kind of uh, monetary grab and the kind of resources it took away From a lot of smaller organizations that definitely could have used it. But hell, even the t-shirt or even the jersey she's wearing in this picture pissed me off. You can't play with black lives. Word. You've been playing with black lives since 2015, at least. Because in as much as black males, heterosexual black males are the ones dying the most. That's primarily the group you completely overlooked. Especially when it came to any kind of serious participation or leaderful leadership within the organization because I was around at the time when they were talking about black men cannot take leadership in this organization like that. I watched them exit black
1: men from meetings because they wanted to foreground women and LGBT. Right? So now you have billions, and yes,
0: I used B, billions of dollars that have been coming in to BLM and colors is one, is the last of the three founders. The other two are said to be not affiliated any longer, even though they're still being interviewed. And even though they've uh, spoken in response and, and, and for BLM, they they've also been reported as not being affiliated, but colors took on the major platform. And there has been no transparency. Absolutely. Brion. I think that's how you pronounce your
1: name. Uh, 10.4 billion. Absolutely. Right. This is where the resources went to. And the very men that are experiencing the most, have we seen any
0: kind of major policy or grassroots, quote unquote, response and, you know, that has been stimulated stimulated by this 10 billion dollars to change the dynamic and the quality of life for black men who are dying the most? Have we seen it actually work for anybody that's been dying at the hands of police homicide? Um, you know, in in the last five years, has, have any of these kind of endeavors changed
1: anything for the group dying the most? As Cat Williams used to say, don't worry, I'll wait. No. So even when we talk about activism,
0: right? Whether we're talking about activism in terms of those who are dying the most as activists, responding to people who are dying. So the activism to try and, to try and stem black male death, you, you still find black males dying the most and yet
1: no conversation about either. And then when we talk about billions of dollars coming in, who's a go-to? Interesting. Um, but that's okay. So let's, let's, let's move forward a little bit because now
0: we can ask the question about whether or not politics will yield anything new, right, for black men. We can't find it in law enforcement, and we can't seem to find it uh, when it comes to activism. Well, maybe politics. Everybody knows we have a new president. I am not a Trump supporter. That was not my whole position. But then again, I have no greater trust for Democrat than I do Republican. It's not a unique position. There are many of us that feel that way. Nevertheless, uh, I'm critical of whoever is in office, especially if their treatment of black people and most particularly black men doesn't do anything for black men. I'm highly critical of them across the board, but Biden was sold on the basis, even intra racially, even within the black community, he was sold as being the solution, you know, to really the biggest issue, which was getting Trump out of office, right? That's what we were told was the big issue, but he was going to right all the wrongs. Now he hasn't taken office yet. I'm sure there's a bolt of lightning possibility that he will be the messianic savior that we were told he will be. Although recent reports suggest that he's been very slow to respond to demands that, uh, he meet with organizations such as BLM. He seems fairly indifferent as far as that's concerned. And why shouldn't he be? He's pretty much guaranteed, um, you know, a lion's share of the black vote across the board. Here's the other thing. Whether he does a four-year or an eight-year term, I think everybody sees the writing on the wall, Kamala Harris is going to run, right? So when it comes to black women activists pushing for voting within the black community, uh, what are the chances that they're going to pull away from the Democrat Party? Not much, not likely. So why in turn would Joe really lose any sleep about
1: your frustration with them? You're gonna vote for the Democrats anyway. Right? So this is part of the issue that we're dealing with. We've applied no pressure from
0: Obama onward. And hell, I would argue there's been not, there's not, really not been enough pressure on Republicans. I think what many, what many did was completely just you know withdraw from even, even engaging Republicans. This is why Ice Cube was so um, uh, sought after, and I shouldn't say sought after, why he was, so, he was attacked to the degree he was, because he, was, he deigned to even speak to Republicans. So there's, there's, there's no interaction with Republicans, but when it comes to Democrats, vote at all costs. And yet, he won't even talk to you. No platform whatsoever put to the Democrat Party in exchange for our votes, I mean, you had Cube, you had ADOS, you know, 101.com. You even had the Onyx Report. We put together the blackmail political agenda. None of those things were supported on any mass level. We were just told to vote. So raising the question about whether or not this particular um, new office, the president and vice president elect, will they do anything different for black men? It'll be an interesting thing to see. I'm not gonna lose any sleep about the matter because I don't we haven't made any significant demands to expect that but one of the things we do see is that this is the most disrespectful ticket the Democrats could have put together as far as black males are concerned both of whom have a seriously problematic track record with incarcerating black men
1: that lets you know that alone lets you know that you are not a priority that they would put this kind of ticket together
0: Right. But we've talked about this. So, you know, in regard to the you know, political dynamic and black men, whether or not black men have any friends, y'all tell me. You see any friends in office? You see any friends amongst the
1: people that demanded we vote for those who are currently in office? I don't see it. Let's try education. I've
0: talked about education in the last couple of uh, months. I've talked about it in terms of, you know, you guys have heard me repeatedly say, I work for the Cal State system, California State University system, the largest state university system in the country, right? What we found a couple years ago was that black males drop out their first year at a clip of 70%. So, in the largest university system in the country, 70% of black males drop out their first year. And again, That's the percentage of them that made it into college, 70%. When it comes to literacy on a national level, 10% of black boys by the eighth grade level
1: are literate, 12% in terms of math and science. Do we have any friends? Who do you hear talking
0: about these numbers? Who do you hear protesting them? And protest doesn't have to be limited to carrying signs on the street. That's not my bar. Who do you even hear talking about these numbers? How many friends do we have? Just, I'm just curious. Non-black males who talk about these numbers, what percentage of, of them do you see? What, how many do you see who are outwardly frustrated and just speaking out against it? Y'all tell me. What you see in this chart, I put together here using data from the National Center of Educational Statistics. And as you can see at every level, from certificate, right? So we're talking, you know, often community college through doctorate for men and women by race and gender, you know, white and black. You can look at it per degree, or you could look at on the right side of the scale, you know, the, the overall. Number of total degrees earned. White women, 31 million. White men, 23 million. Black women, 6.5 million. Black men, 3.3. This is from 1976 to 2018. I hate when people give you ratios and rates and per 100,000, the bullshit around the numbers. I like raw numbers. So before someone tries to tell you, oh, but the ratio is no. Look at it. 1976, 2018. What do you see? And I'm just curious, yet again, how many people do you know that give you raw numbers about black males degree performance in
1: university systems? Don't worry. I'll wait. It's not happening. Nobody wants to talk about this. Or few, I should say. So, when you ask the question, in terms of education, how many friends do we have? Uh, Ian, I posted this on Facebook. If you remind me after the show, I'll do it again. Right? Yeah. Do we have any friends in education? Law enforcement, activism, politics, education.
0: By the way, many of these are the institutions that are supposed to reveal who actually is running a community. So when we talk about patriarchy, which is a term we've heard a lot in the last decade, right? one of the things we keep hearing is that black males are patriarchs and they're abusive patriarchs at that. And I've said this on a number of shows. When you look at the major institutions, you know, patriarchs basically make sure that their own stay at the top. Which of the institutions that I've mentioned, or that we can think of, prioritize black males? How the fuck do you have a patriarchy when the very men who are supposed to be leading it are doing the worst? From political representation to college graduation to income to carceral
1: treatment to policy... Media representation. Employment.
0: Which of those charts do you find black men in a superior position? Because these are the hallmarks. Of patriarchy. I told you, you know, a couple of years ago. I had a there was a feminist that came to my institution and she gave a talk about black patriarchy and her evidence was that black men get the big piece of chicken. I've talked about this on this show. I can't help but talk about it again because the shit so ridiculous, right? Her evidence was a big piece of chicken. She got a standing ovation from a majority black female audience. One of my students was in that audience, and I was so hurt that one of mine who had taken multiple classes was applauding this.
1: So afterwards, my student approached me and she said, wow, wasn't that good? I said, well, we'll see. Let me ask you a question.
0: I said, if I ask you to prove to me about the existence of white patriarchy, what would you say? And she said, I would look at everything from home ownership to income to you know, uh, the amount of income and, and who gets it and to what extent and how many CEOs there are versus female CEOs. She had a checklist that she railed off. This is an undergraduate student. She had a checklist that she railed off at least with 10 points before she she, she took a moment to breathe. I was actually very impressed and part of me was a little proud that she did that in that moment. And I just let her go. She went 10 down the list and she said, and I can name a lot more. I said, good.
1: How many of them apply to black men? There were crickets. So I said, take everything you just said, take that, that checklist of 10 points you just laid out. And put it next to eating a big piece of chicken. And she immediately put her head down. I said, I'm going to need you to
0: think like this when I'm not in the room. Even though I was, which was partially why I was so offended. Because I'm sitting in, in in the room. And you've taken several of my classes. And yet still can be completely oblivious to the realities
1: of what black men live. As soon as... Anyway. But this is the kind of shit I'm talking about. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. So when I put a chart like
0: this up, I'm basically trying to say,
1: refer to the
0: data. Not the opinions. Not the beliefs. Not something people feel strongly about. What do we know? That's the starting point of any damn conversation about black men. What do we know? So not only am I asking, do we have any friends? I think what we're debunking in this moment is that there's any serious institutional argument for black patriarchy, especially if you're talking about this oppressive notion of patriarchy, when the reality is black men are not in a position of authority or superiority by any metric of any serious issue that we really can point to.
1: At least none that come to mind. So let's look at another area. Now, I posted this, right? I put a post on YouTube, wrote a brief uh, piece
0: about it on my blog, newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. This is a piece uh, by Erica Lachey. I have, you know, I think I've shown one or two of her videos on my show before. She does some excellent, she has some excellent videos advocating for seeing black men really as human beings. And that's the point we're at in 2020 when we have to applaud, when people take the time to see black men as human beings. Now she has some other questionable videos where it seems like she's talking about black men, almost like something off her shoe, but I've only seen, I've seen one of those videos. The rest have been pretty positive, but my response to this, I'm just going to read off what I wrote. So I watched the video and in this particular video, Um, you know, she talks about the interdependent needs of black men and women and so on and so forth. And she spent a good deal of time reflecting on how useful she found black men to be when she allowed them to help her. She mentioned her little brother. She mentioned her father. She talked about when she asked them what kind of guns to get or asked them to help her move. She. She was, uh, you know, she was thrilled to find that they were useful to her. And so she ended up having a bit of a talk with other black women watching the video in terms of saying, you know, allow the men to be useful. You'll find that they can be. Right. And so in response to that, because I read through the comments and people were jumping for joy, man, you know, especially brothers, man, we, and we are so hungry for a certain type of female validation, we go through the roof. You can go to my channel on YouTube. I posted several videos where you have black women saying basically human level things about black men. 40,000 plus views, 60,000 plus views out the gate. I do an interview with Tommy Curry, 5,000 views. I do a video about a black male political agenda, 3,000, 2,000 views. I put a black woman up that says something that is marginally in the same galaxy as something that black men should be talking about themselves and are, but are being ignored. That video will get over 40,000 views in a couple of days. So that concerned me when I watched this video, not only because of a couple of things she alluded to, but the male response to it. The female response was them going back and forth debating about, about whether or not men could be trusted and to what extent. The male response was to overly laud her, right? That female worship thing. But So what I said when I posted this video on Facebook and then on a number of other platforms, I said, I've been seeing a lot of these videos lately where black women have been contemplating asking black men for help and reassessing being reassessing being soft enough to do so. Or they've questioned the value of interdependence over... Uh, being singularly independent, and I've noticed how many black men can't wait to be appreciated at at nearly any expense. It's interesting to say the least. Still, I can't help but notice the timing of it all, especially after five decades of emasculating dismissal. Notice how none of these videos suggest what she'll do for you. Instead, they'll just focus on her learning to appreciate your utility to her. I grew up when mantras such as I don't need a man and niggas ain't shit were spoken quite often and with a nearly religious zeal, even by the classiest of educated black women. I saw it on TV, and movies, and heard it personally, often, and met scores of black men from all over who noticed it during the same time period. As I'm not wholly against this development, I can see how it could be a good thing if done with sincerity, I suppose. It is what it is. On another note, men, be careful and watch this development closely. Make sure there's a difference between being asked for your help and being expected to serve as a footstool or servant. After being historically seen as a lesser being, only capable of providing sperm, sex, and occasional physical protection, if you weren't a 1% man, i.e. a man making over 150000 a year, such a quick shift merits caution. Make sure you articulate your needs in a relationship and that she be as eager to be as much of a value to you as she requests of you. If you observe a shift back to emasculation, dismissal, insult, shaming, or guilting tactics, or argumentativeness, do not accept it. Be careful of people performing a respect they don't actually have for you. As men value genuine respect far more than people think, it can be a neg- as negatively impactful to have false respect as it is positively impactful to have genuine respect. And if you choose to be in a relationship, remember to value your peace. I'm going to say that again, if you choose to be in a relationship, remember to value your peace
1: and avoid making her validation, a reflection of your self worth. Again, avoid making her validation,
0: a reflection of your self worth. That alone can be the difference between life and death for us. The stress level that black men feel and trying to define their worth based on what women say about them, what their women say, particularly those they're in relationships with and hell, even daughters for that matter, mothers, grandparents. Look, I'm going to need you guys to really start taking an entirely different view of yourselves, especially in relationships. Too much of the time relationships are a one way street. We come into it talking about what needs to happen for her. And that's it. I've said this repeatedly. When I asked my students, how many of you have lists of expectations of your future mates? Only the women have lists. And I was around when that started. They were being socialized from the 1980s onward to have demands, but those demands were not even related to the reality of our income levels or any of that. They were just arbitrary demands. And we all know what they are. Be over six feet tall, make over six figures. We've
1: heard this and and the lists go from there, right? But whenever I asked my male students what list they had, she looked good. She got to look good. And to be honest with you, That was never
0: stated. I assume it, but when I asked them the question, what expectations did they have of a future mate? I never had one student provide me a list. Male student, not one. The way we've been socialized, relationships are designed for women. And when you begin to question what practical need is there for men, asking the question, is enough, is grounds enough to have you eliminated, canceled in cancel culture, right? I'm not against relationships. I was married. And for the most part, you know, every marriage has its bumps. I wasn't wholly unhappy. I'm not on a tirade against relationships and marriage. I'm on a tirade against men arbitrarily doing it and never even asking the question what exactly they're supposed to get out of it because so far the discourse is solely about her. And then what do you hear? Happy wife, happy life. If y'all don't get that bullshit away from me, we are human. You ain't the only one that has needs. And for men, I'm gonna tell you, if you don't know how to articulate it, fellas, the number one item on any list, really in any relationship, even with your boys, but especially with your woman is respect. I don't care if she's having
1: sex with you every day, cleaning, cooking, I don't care what it is. If there's no respect, you have nothing. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it, fellas. So that said,
0: getting back to this question about do our black men at war alone, we looked at law enforcement, We looked at activism, we looked at politics, and granted, we're just taking snapshots, right? We looked at education, and we're even looking at the current moment where we're starting to see more and more black women publicly articulating a need
1: to reconnect, and I say reconnect, right? Because we've heard for decades that black men weren't needed. Y'all tell me if I'm making it up. I've been hearing this shit since I was in elementary school, right? So we've
0: started to hear the value of reconnecting with black men and in our zeal as men to be honored, to be acknowledged, to be appreciated, we jumping through hoops. And yet if you stop, slow down, and get your own needs, your own wants out of the way and actually listen to the conversation that's being had.
1: Too much of the time, it still doesn't include you. You are a utility. You
0: are a vacuum cleaner. You're a car. You're you're, I'm talking about the way you're viewed.
1: This is not good. If your own basic self-respect doesn't allow you to see when somebody is talking
0: about you as a tool to lighten their load and not as a human being that is owed some modicum of human dignity and respect we haven't even gotten to love
1: yet. If that's the level of conversation and you can't see it, then the problem is not with her. Too
0: many of our women have been socialized to see us as footstools, we've been
1: socialized to measure our value against how well we keep our feet off the ground. And there are scores of black men who can and do. Believe it or not, despite all the trials we
0: face, there are black men that do that job well. Even though the percentage of, percentage of us that make over six figures is minimal, there are still many black men that are capable and do take care of their families. And yet, The discourse around how to receive black male attention, support, love, has nothing to do with reciprocating a goddamn thing.
1: Now, is that a reflection of all uh, relationships and women? Absolutely not. But the discourse in public media about relationships between men and women
0: is objectifying And it's interesting to me because the whole notion of objectification in gender studies is only associated with women. Objectification is only something women experience and they they mainly complain about sexual objectification. Now you're talking about a population of men who've been used as, as breeders on plantations during slavery. So somehow black men don't experience sexual objectification. I would argue they experienced it more than anybody else and continue to because we're still seen as walking fallacies to this day.
1: But beyond that, the very notion of us being nothing more than a utility just kind of goes
0: unregarded. Now, I'm not talking about Erica Lachey. She had two videos I found questionable, a bunch of other videos where she said some interesting things. My question is not so much her. My question is more about the discussion in regard to black men in relationships. And if something like that, something like that type of object, objectification can come from someone like her, what
1: does the discussion look like with the everyday woman? Y'all tell me. So to answer the question, are black men at war alone?
0: There are a number of black men who I have heard from, talked to, that have partners that respect them and are in their corners. They have individuals at work who will go to bat with them if there's an issue, especially on the basis of race. They have boys that will fight police officers in, in terms of helping them. On an individual level, there are some black men that are able to talk about support on a variety of levels in their lives and i applaud them for that but when i step back and look at this from a macro perspective i don't see it if you look at the last presidential election how many even black women who were talking about the need to elect biden how many of them prioritize black male issues even when talking to black males you know what i saw The closest
1: example of that I saw was a campaign of strippers trying to get black men to vote. That's what you think of us. I can
0: identify individual black women who have been supportive. Hell, there's some right here in the chat. But my question isn't about individuals. My question is, in any of these different contexts, What institutional or macro support
1: are we seeing that black men can rely on? I'm not an alarmist, even though I know
0: it seems that way. I'm not suggesting that there's nothing just because it sounds, you know, sounds provocative. I know that's the accusation.
1: But I'm actually just looking at it. And I don't see it not for the boys, not for the grown men. And this is the shit that, it hurts my heart to see black men themselves
0: avoiding and not being willing to challenge. Now, y'all forgive me, I'm moving a little slow tonight, still a little under the weather, but I hope that you all, at least in the comment section, or who can, those of you that can send me something in private, show me where I'm wrong. Because I tell you, this is not a situation I want to be right about.
1: But when I, like I said, looking at it from a macro standpoint or an institutional one, you tell me. Um... So for those of you who are members of the channel, we will be having after hours tonight, which
0: basically means when I shut down this stream, give or take five minutes or so, I will set up the new stream. If you don't know where the link is, you can go to my community page on YouTube, go to my channel and then click on community and you'll see the link if you're a member to come into the office hours. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can find the link in Patreon. So yes, we will be having a community tab, uh, a community uh,
1: office hour session. Uh, so please join that. And you guys know how I like to close out my show. All
0: right? I'm here to tell you brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man, children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.